And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show. Presented by RIA Advisors. Welcome to Financial Fitness Friday. I'm Rich Rosso, CFP, here with Danny Ratliff. CFP. You know who looks dumber than Jeff Bezos in a cowboy hat? Me. Um, we got a lot to talk about today. You know, the first thing I'm going to start with is lessons from grandma. Because grandmas have the best lessons, don't they, Danny? I, I can barely hear Danny. Danny, you there? Okay. I think you're there, Danny. Hey, so think about this. I don't know. Your grand... Well, I don't know if your grandparents were Depression era, but maybe your great-grandparents were. But nothing went to waste. Like in the Ratliff house. Nothing goes to waste. But she wasn't a hoarder, but she found a use for everything. So I just remember... My grandparents had a Ford Maverick two-tone, pretty cool car. Um, And she would look for salvageable treasures in the neighbor's garbage. Drove my my grandfather crazy. But one year, she found the coolest redwood display with all these wood-carved reindeer. So we had to lug it 10 blocks to the house. So I guess sometimes saving isn't a good thing. But I have, I've, I guess, I don't think I've gotten the garbage salvage thing from her, but I can definitely go through garage sales and antique stores to try to find unique things. It's funny, the stuff that used to be garbage in the 70s are now considered antiques and you have to pay through the nose for them. So, Danny, we have got a market that uh, looks like a little bit under pressure this morning, right? So we've got uh, Procter & Gamble actually reported pretty good earnings. But, man, Amazon. Uh, now, Amazon is a behemoth. We know this. Um, they had made um, $30 billion, billion in profits in the past year. But there's expectations that maybe this can't keep up. You know, maybe as we reopen, if we reopen, or if we're going to stay open, that Amazon may have lost its momentum. So shares are down on uh, Amazon, on Amazon about uh, six and a half percent or so. I don't know, Danny. I don't think Amazon and the trend toward online purchases that that is going away anytime soon. We might have crested a bit. And people going back to normal. But I don't know. I just think that this is temporary and that uh, they're going to be still going out there and spending money on Amazon. But obviously, NASDAQ today is taking that a little bit down on the chin. It's down about almost 1%, 137 points. S&P futures down 23 points. Dow futures down 62. The 10 years at one24 Seven percent. Um, we are coming to the uh, close of earnings season. Uh, eventful for companies, somewhat 
not for others. Obviously, if you are not going to exceed uh, guidance or your forward guidance doesn't look very good, uh, you're sort of getting beat up. Now, uh, Procter & Gamble had a pretty decent report, as I mentioned, strong, stable demand for their products. And not only that, these companies have pricing power now. They have the ability to raise prices. When I remember Procter & Gamble after the financial crisis, their, one of their biggest dilemmas was how were they going to get people to purchase Tide when people were possibly or consumers were looking for lower cost alternatives uh, overall. So as we come to an end to that, um, what we got to look at is uh, where's the market go? We're expecting a correction here. Obviously, um, we are a bit priced for perfection. If a company comes in and beats their numbers, they're getting sort of taken out to the woodshed because maybe these numbers are starting to crest. We saw GDP come out a little bit lower than expected uh, yesterday. Any commentary on any of that, Danny? Oh, okay. No, no Danny yet. So a um, couple of things we're going to talk about today. Interesting study that, and I'm writing about this right now, that has come out of the National Institute of Retirement Security. They do a really great job at generational views of retirement in the United States. What's important about this report is how the COVID-19 pandemic with the extraordinary challenges, especially economically, that every generation has had, is how views of retirement may have changed. Now, I could argue that many views of retirement or the non-retirement retirement changed after the financial crisis. In our retirement right-wing class, Danny and I always talk about the labor force participation rate and how people are working longer. Part of it is because they're healthier, but most important is because they need the money. We have seen dramatic changes in the U.S. retirement system. So it makes sense that maybe Across generations, we're not prepared for retirement. I, I expect a lot different from this audience, but I will say you all are the outliers for this, right? So um, the silent generation, some early baby boomers, what they did have is something many of us don't. They had defined benefit plans. They had pensions, Right? Now, when you look at Gen X, Gen X, what is their primary retirement savings vehicle? 401k. So against this backdrop of, of course, pensions no longer there or defined benefits plans, the, only, the one closest to what we all have is Social Security because it is a guaranteed income for life. Millennials and Gen X are most concerned about 
retirement. We're going to talk about what the broad support looks like. We're, you know, in a, in a divisive society where nobody seems to get along. There are a few things about retirement that all generations agree. And we're going to discuss that when we get back here on Financial Fitness Friday of The Real Investment Show. Stay with us. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. And welcome back to Financial Fitness Friday. You know, when these uh, retirement studies come out, it's not designed to put a damper on you especially on a Friday when you're all getting ready for the weekend. It's designed to keep us grounded and to understand what we need to do and set and, and reset possibly our expectations. In other words, the most perfect retirement is imperfect. Very few people today have a perfect re- retirement. In other words, the one that you used to hear about. You work, you, re- you retire at 65, you've got a pension, uh, uh, you know, and this income that you can't outlive, and your expenses are going to drop dramatically in retirement, so you're going to fall into the lowest tax bracket. All this romance around retirement notion needs to be sort of obliterated and redefined by every each or each household. It doesn't make somebody a failure. It doesn't mean that you have to compete with a neighbor. It means that retirement is very different. But what's happening, it's all melding together. The backdrop is starting to sort of merge for everybody. And when you get financial or crises, external events, exogenous events that seem to occur or outliers every 10 years as opposed to every 500 years as the financial industry will tell you. Um, We all start to sort of have a kumbaya moment. So millennials and Gen X are having that moment where they are most concerned about the impacts of COVID-19 on their retirement. But across generations, everybody's concerned. Yes, yes. Millennials and Gen X are most pessimistic. But here's a few things, and this is why Danny and I and all our planners are adept or very strong at understanding basic income or guaranteed income benefits. There is broad support across generations for Social Security including support for increasing contributions and expanding benefits. Because what Danny and I always say is Social Security 
was not designed to be America's pension, but it certainly has become so. All generations have favorable views of defined benefit pensions with millennials holding the most favorable views. There is wide agreement across every generation that pensions are better than 401k plans when it comes to retirement security and that everyone should have a pension. You know, Danny, this is the kinds of things that um, crosses bridges, that this guaranteed income solution um, or partially guaranteed income uh, is where people have this uh, come together moment. They do, and I think it's pretty difficult for people to understand what that means. And so many people are used to, you know, the 401k defined contribution plan now that we've gotten so far away from the defined benefit plans. It makes it difficult for, for people to really understand what they look like, what those actually work like, and to understand the pros and cons of each. Because I think people like the defined benefit plans because they have the assumption that the employer is the one who's actually contributing to it versus the employee, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. More and more is being pushed onto an employee. One of the things that I wrote years ago after the financial crisis is if that if we didn't correct some of these issues, that we would come into some very strong social unrest in the, in the coming generation. And that's exactly where we are. It's, interestingly enough, most gen across generations, and I'm talking silent baby boomers, Gen X, millennials, they have considered retiring earlier or later. This was the question. What have they done than originally planned? Percentage of retiring later, even for the silent generation, in other words, some still working, 69% said they're going to retire later. Baby boomers, 65. Gen X, 66. Millennials, 68%. Let's just say that most believed that they are going to retire later. And again, we are living longer. So there's that. But I think it's more than that. I think it's the fact that when you base your entire retirement income, or at least 75% of it, if we consider where Social Security might fit in, by variable assets, you are subject to the whims of the ebbs and flows of those assets. I don't want ebbs and flows of my income in retirement. During the COVID, during COVID, I know you probably remember some of the academics that I respect and I know you do in this industry, and there aren't many said that, whoa, the 4% retirement portfolio withdrawal rule, surprise, is really about 2.4%. So if I have a budget in retirement and I want to make sure that I, have, I, I depend on an income, that's my lifeblood. Yeah, growth is important, right? Because I do have inflation and I need to worry about that. But without cash flow, there's no blood to supply the household. So I don't want so much variability. Now, if we're correct, and over the next 10 to 15 years, although we, I sort of look dumb today, that 
stock returns are going to be much lower because of valuations today. And Lance always says it's a function of math. Reversion to the mean occurs. That does not mean you fall off a cliff in markets. That could mean that you just get lower returns for longer. So then if I am mostly in variable assets, how the heck am I supposed to take 4% out of my account every year mindlessly and expect the money to live as long as I do? Intuitively, it doesn't make any sense. The 4% rule, when, when uh, Bill Bengen came out with this in the mid-90s during the greatest financial uh, you know, bull market ever, made sense. Matter of fact, I remember in the early 90s telling clients, listen, you could take 5 or 6%, but I want you to understand this can possibly drop in half over the next decade or so. So you have all these across generations, the vast majority of Americans agree that workers cannot save enough on their own for a secure retirement. Sort of sounds like a cop out because, again, I could argue for financial, you know, I could take both sides on this hand and on the other hand, right? I could say on this hand, well, you know, financial literacy is in the toilet and we won't, you know, we have all we want is immediate gratification, but we know people who actually do a really good job savings, but the expenses in retirement warrants more and something's got to give. What's got to give? I have to work longer or I need some form of guaranteed income. Danny, why are we spending so much time helping people make the most or the less emotional decisions, maximum decisions when it comes to cash flow, when it comes to social security, right? Because it, it is like you mentioned, the lifeblood of many people's plans. And, you know, that's that longevity risk that you can curtail to some extent. I think it's really important to understand that you need multiple flows of income, you need multiple assets that you can draw down from um, and or sources of income just for that matter. And this is really important to understand that, you know, the markets that we're seeing right now, that's not the normal. We shouldn't expect to be here, you know, stepping into August at markets up 14, 15%. That does not happen. If we could we could shut the year off, this were December 31st, everybody would be ecstatic. This was a fantastic year. This is not how it's going to typically uh, continue. And you think mm -hmm. about the market cycles and where we are, and you talked about, you know, helping people plan to make good social security decisions because of what we could expect here for the future returns. It's going to be so important, especially with where fixed income rates are. I mean, you throw all these variables and we really have a perfect storm in many different ways, not to mention the enormous amount of debt that's out there. Yeah. And this is what's amazing. Across the board, most Americans, I mean, these are across generational lines. They believe in the value of increasing contributions to Social Security so that it's in place. I mean, you have 64% of the silent generation makes sense, believes that. But you got 63% of millennials who I think are into more government oversight anyway. But even Gen X is at 52%. In other words, Social Security has become the pension, whether you like it or not, whether you disagree with it or not. And even I have voiced my opinion about payroll taxes. When You know, I don't know where all the other money goes. I just don't. 
You know, uh, we all feel that we pay a lot in taxes and the, there's a burn rate on all the money, right? I think like $13 billion in unemployment benefits just poof, went, went somewhere and nobody knows where, right? We throw billions around like you and I throw like dollars around, right? And you think about, gosh, I worked so hard for that money that the government takes out of my check or we have to send it on a quarterly basis just for them to burn through it. And yet when it comes to increasing payroll taxes and making sure Social Security's there and there's a guaranteed income, there is a kumbaya moment across these generational lines. We get back, we want to continue this talk about this National Institute of Retirement Security Survey. And we got some other stuff coming up in the last segment about uh, bringing your puppy into the office. Is that a good thing? Danny's going to bring his in soon and I'm going to leave Connie's door open. <clears throat> for things to occur. We'll be right back here on Financial Fitness Friday on The Real Investment Show. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. Welcome back to Financial Fitness Friday. If anybody uh, cares, Robin Hood went public yesterday. Hood is the symbol. Uh, it broke at around 39 bucks, and it's at 34.30. So what happened to this IPO craze and Robin Hood with all its bells and whistles and confetti? I think that's part of the problem, Danny. I know we want to get back into the study. I think that's part of the problem. I think this company has got a huge target on its back from a regulatory perspective because it treats investing like gaming. I, for one, I'm sort of happy that the stock didn't make it. To me, I was feeling that this wasn't going to be such a successful IPO appearance. Uh, because of the fact that I think, uh, first of all, I think some of the, the luster will come off of these, of these more speculative ventures. But this company turns investing into a farce. They can have all the noble, you know, Robin Hood kind of things, but they're, you know, they're friar tucking their customers. If I'm placing a trade and confetti's falling down, you know, I'm not, I'm not some playing some, you know, game here. I'm not watching anime, right? I can lose real money. So I understand the democratization of markets and having the ability to do this. This started with online trading, which I still sometimes wonder if it's a good thing. Um, but... Robinhood just seems to, you know, seems to be hiding out in the forest with some droopy arrows. Rich, it's democracy for all. Everybody can invest. It's such a great thing now. Um, yeah, I can invest in junk, too. Mm -hmm. Well, I think some of the bigger problems, and you hit on this earlier, is the personal finance 101 has been thrown out the window. I mean, where, where is that gone? 
And unfortunately, know. you know, that starts at a much younger age, but now we're giving access to so many people who are using it, like you mentioned, a casino versus what it's really intended for is to grow and build wealth. And, you know, getting back to the basics, understanding where that wealth comes from, it comes from you earning your earnings potential, putting those funds to work and growing it over time, not just, you know, taking every little bit you have and, you know, throwing caution to the wind. And, you know, I think getting back to that will help people realize the importance of, of all those things that they do. You know, we did the can of coffee this last weekend talking about financial independence. Mm-hmm. That's a very big aspect of, of somebody's actual wealth is what they do. And Robin Hood, you know, like, you know, you said, taking from the uh, actually the opposite here, taking from the, the poor and giving to the rich because they're front running <laughs> all true. those trades. You know, it, it, it's kind of a, it's a hypocrisy. It's like the evil Robin Hood. Yeah. It's like the alterhood. Um, yeah, to your point, you know, listen, I'm all for people having access to markets uh, and, and trading in, and investing if it gives them good lessons. And to your point, if they don't have the basics and the foundation, they think in the stock market is going to help them get ahead. And with luck, maybe it does. I'm sure there are some people out there that you know, we're going to scoff at this and say, hey, well, I just made like, you know, $100,000. Well, did you make it? Did you sell? Did you keep it? What kind of trade? Are you going to do something smart with the money now because you realize you got lucky? Or do you think you're some 20-something-year-old market maven? Right? They're, they're, the ego and the greed that gets wrapped up in all of this, when when you deal with markets – humility and being humble and understanding that these things can break you at any moment is what makes you successful. I could still take a bold step, but realize that I could be wrong, regardless of which way the trade goes. So um, Robin Hood, sort of, you know, meh, the hood. Nothing good in the hood uh, for Robin Hood. So now, and here's the thing, and I'm glad we have, you know, you know, we have Tom Allen on our team, great retirement plan specialist that we're putting together. We're going to work on some for small businesses, the kinds of benefits they're going to need to attract for their employees. Because retirement plans in general in this study are very, very important. Because all generations believe, you know, listen, hey, Social Security alone, even though I agree with it, is not enough. We need some other parts. We need some other things. We need some guaranteed income. Uh, You know, we need some stability. uh, And we need some discipline. And what we want to try to do at RIA is making sure that when companies put these plans in place to attract employees, but not only that, but to maximize their own benefit as business owners, we provide the financial literacy, the real financial literacy, not the mainstream junk that says, I'm going to make 8% a year and my life is going to be great. My $3,000 is going to be $100,000 by, you know, in 20 years if I just ignore it. Uh, yes, there is something to letting investments ride and not getting your emotions attached. But man, does that message get muddied when it comes to the fact that markets compound at a certain rate of return and they take the variability 
out of the process, which is very misleading overall. Like the rule of 72, how many times have you had somebody come to you oh, rich saying, yeah. right? That, that you're not. What happened? Right? I was, my money was supposed to compound by this rate, and I was supposed to be at this level at this rate, but it's not. Well, you know, there are so many caveats to this that nobody's ever told you about. It's funny. You can't really have a lot of rules when it comes to compounding in stocks because what do we always say about compounding in general? Money compounds when you have no potential to lose principal. That is the true definition of compounding. When you say stocks compound, it's, it's sort of misleading. It's sort of an oxymoron. They can compound for a while. But I don't need much for that unraveling of the compounding to take my returns away dramatically because risk of loss or the math of loss is so much more dramatic than the math of gain. So when these studies come out, I find them fascinating because I like to see what all generations think overall, right? Now, what's interesting about this, the whole gist of this overall study, Danny, is that in ironically, at a time where young investors are really embracing the stock market, what they're saying in a lot of these studies is we also need some guaranteed income component of my retirement. It makes perfect sense. It makes perfect sense. I want a retirement income paycheck I cannot outlive. If it can't be the private sector, I need Social Security to be bolstered, even if taxes go higher. Because you take the human element. How many times or how many opportunities is there, Danny, to take money out of your IRA or company retirement plan? How many choices does the government give you to take money out? Many, and it seems like it's only increasing over time. You know, every opportunity they get, they say, oh, look, we're going to give you the ability to take these funds out and not be penalized. And unfortunately, they're even using it as we're, we've, we've become accustomed to using these as emergency funds instead of using them for the purposes intended of that long-term retirement, that big goal at the end. Um, and and that, that becomes a drain because many times, you know, we take loans against these types of things. Um, it, it's very counterintuitive to our overall long-term plan. And that's why, you know, you and I speak so frequently about building the foundation of your, your financial, your, your wealth. You need to start with that emergency fund. You need to start here before we, we jump way over here to start saying we're going to fully fund our retirement, but yet we have nowhere else to go. And Uncle Sam realizes it, which is why they continue to, to allow us to jump in and dive into these funds. Yeah, it's funny. It's like the government adds a little poison to your your breakfast juice, your morning health regimen, where they say, now we're going to add legislation for you to take $1,000 out of your retirement account for emergency purposes. Okay, no. That's not what it's for. My daughter yesterday, she calls me, Dad, I'm putting $250 a month in, into my Roth, right? And her boyfriend, 
is working at Ikea is getting a 401k. We went through that process of how much he, he should contribute for the, for, you know, to match because they match 4%, right? Uh, but the point, she kept asking me the same question. How, can, I can get money out, right? I can take, how do I take money out? I'm like, Haley, that, that sentence, we're not addressing it. Once the money goes in, it doesn't come out. It's not coming out. The coming out does not work. We're not doing it. What? No. No. I'm going to... The door's closed. The, when the money goes in, it's in the vault. But he, but I can take it out. Right. No. This is what they're taught. Oh, I could have been a fly on the wall for that oh, conversation. Oh, boy. If I hear the words, I can take it out. No, never again. We get back. We're going to talk about some other stuff. We hope you find of interest here on Financial Fit this Friday. Stay tuned. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Welcome back. So I will admit it's going to be pretty quiet from the uh, workshop front here in August coming up. It's already August. I was already talking about fall festivals yesterday, like the Chapel Hill Scarecrow Festival and all that stuff. I was like, oh my gosh, where did the year go? <laughs> I'm like, what are we talking about? <laughs> it's... Uh-oh. Say again. Yeah. Hello. Oh, there you go. Outside. Huh? I know. No, I'm already in the fall. Like, I'm thinking leaves and all kinds of stuff. Uh, I'm like, I'm done with this. I'm trying to escape summer um, overall. So things go quick. But we will have our retirement right lane class revised, polished up for in-person in the woodlands in September. What date is that, Danny? Is it the 24th or what? can't remember. That's 16th. 13th. Ah, there is it on the wall. 13th. Brent writes on the glass here. So it's, and then we're going to be in. Coming to Austin. Austin. October 16th. October 16th. So it's the 16th. So the right lane in the woodlands is always cool. I love, these are really great in person. This is two hours. We soup to nuts. What you all need to know as you prepare to exit for your destination of retirement. So it is a lot of fun in person. We get a lot of great engagement from people who attend. And that what's you know, we've done we do it on Zoom and we will record it for people who are out of out of out of town. Uh, but you know, there's something about the energy of doing that class. Uh, in person, 
don't you think? From all the people. Oh, we I have. love doing those and doing them in person. I mean, there's so much interaction, so much, uh, you know, it's just going to be nice to get back in front of people. I think we've been all been cooped up for so long. Uh, I'm really looking forward to it. Maybe we can get your wonderful wife to show this time. I haven't seen her. That would be yeah, fun. Maybe. <laughs> If she's find, you find the sitter, I'm sure she's, she'd love to get out. <laughs> no, bring the kids. Bring oh. the dogs. Because employers that are dog-friendly might be more likely to have happy workers. So why don't we have a mascot at RIA? We can call him Bollinger. And he could wear a little vest with his RIA logo and just come in and greet everybody. Wouldn't that be nice, Danny? What do you think? I'm not taking him all the way down to go to the bathroom break. No, we just put pads in uh, Connie's office. Well, he's got a rug in there. But just to have, you know, this companion, what is happening is that, you know, people are starting to see that, you know, they have offices and they have dog bowls, toys, and it's, uh, it's, 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 it's creating this like job satisfaction because people, you know, look at adoptions during the pandemic, right? Most people, many people adopted animals and now they have to go back into the office and they want to bring their puppies with them. I don't think there's anything wrong with this. Danny's like, Our, my dog would be eating the computers and Brent's studio would not be the same. You know, I bet you bet. You know, you ever think about the kind of dogs that Lance owns? Well, just yeah. figure the names. Gunner and Sniper. <laughs> okay. You watch The Simpsons. Like when, when uh, Mr. Burns, when people come to his house. And he goes, release the hounds. The, the, and, the, you know, the dogs with the spike collars in order to just chase everybody and rip them to shreds. I think that's, that's what Lance has got going, don't you? Oh, for sure. That's assuming they get over the moat first. <laughs> but, yeah. We know that. What are their names? Gunner and what? Sniper? Sniper. It's, you know, it's real. It's just warm and fuzzy. With just a little bit of a stiletto stab for you. No, but I mean, this is, I mean, when you think about employee benefits, uh, and we talk about it a lot, um, this whole thing about bringing your animals in is a really growing trend. Um, even our, like our client relationship management system that we use, right? Before you log in, they have all the dogs of the advisors that, uh, that use the system and they're also really cute. So, um, you know, so when you read the stories about what people are doing, um, that they all bring them in, the clients love them. Uh, it's uh, it's amazing. It's amazing. Our pets have become family, but it's interesting to see how now they're looking to be incorporated into an office relationship, and how it's creating job satisfaction. Uh, like we said, after the pandemic, you got to keep your eyes and ears and mind open to what people are going to be finding as satisfaction in their, at their jobs. Don't you think? 
I mean, it's yeah, not yeah, just so. the financial benefit anymore. It's the holistic way of looking at employees and helping them be happy at work. It wasn't designed like that when the silent generation went to work and you trudge into the office and you sit at the desk from nine to five. The same thing with baby boomers. And to some degree that is still valid, but some of those tenets are ripping apart for a new way to work. Um, and it seems like the puppies are the thing, interestingly enough. I wonder how many people in the audience, you all bring your dogs to work? Connie's Mine's now. trying to bust in the door right now, literally, as we're speaking. Yeah, he's like, it. he's talking about me. He's talking about me. Yeah. The thing is, is I can't get up to let, let her in. And if I did, then she'd just want out. So uh, yeah. that's where I, I'm okay leaving the dogs at home. I've been, been cooped up with them for six six weeks. I'm ready to get back to work. In the office, that is. Yeah, and Gunner and Sniper are uh, chewing on morning joggers this morning, just so you know, um, from what I hear. Um, so we talk about this a lot, but there's also some changes that – is Congress going to change how Social Security raises are calculated? We always talk about how when you look at – the cost of living adjustments for Social Security, that they use the CPI or the Consumer Price Index-W. And that's for urban workers, right? In other words, it's not really designed for senior Americans, where CPI-E, and I've written about this multiple times, is focused on older adult costs, Right? In some ways, they rise more, obviously, because when you can think about what might be going in the E versus the W. But there are ad, ad, uh, advocacy groups that are now saying, hey, we should be looking at or reviving this CPI-E, which better reflects senior expenses. So Congress is considering at least one bill to make that change. So the CPI-E, generally speaking, has been much higher than CPI-W, which makes it, you understand why it's not used. <laughs> but it makes, it, it makes a difference. So this, this is going to be part of a larger uh, Social Security bill that's coming. Um, any thoughts? Well, I think it's it's much needed. We've talked about this for years and looking at the numbers. I mean, just even a uh, 30 to 40, 50 basis point increase versus the CPIW is substantial over the years. Yes. And I think that you know, this is something that we find is difficult as we see that inflation creep up as we age because we're spending money on different things. And I think it needs to be more in line with that. Uh, so this, is, this will be a good thing. Unfortunately, with what we're seeing with Medicare costs, other, other things of that nature, it may not keep up necessarily, but it'll still be a move in the right direction. Yeah, it will. I, I think so. Um, because, again, it just accurately reflects the, um, the inflation that older Americans face. You know, uh, it's going to be amazing to see some of the changes that might come with Social Security. And as much as people say it's going away, uh, I see nothing but it being bolstered based on how every generation really finds it important. 
Um, I'm not saying it's right or wrong. It is what it is. And I hear a lot of people tell me, well, if I had the money, I'd have been able to put it back to work. Well, you do have the money. It's called a 401k, and we have failed miserably, right? When you are not responsible for it, and I'm not, again, a lot of people in this audience, but I'm talking about the masses who, first of all, maybe they put money in their 401k, but they're terrible at making decisions, or they have too much in company stock, right? They don't have the right asset allocation, right? All these things make the 401k not the most optimum plan for most people. And that's why what we do when people want to or companies want to install them is you have to provide the education so that people do make smart decisions and understand like I had to tell my daughter yesterday. You can't take it out. That's not what's going to happen. Well, I hope you all have a great weekend. Lance is back on Monday, and we will see you next Friday here on The Real Investment Show. Hope you all have a great one, everybody. Thanks for tuning in with us. We appreciate it. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet. Sign up for the Real Investment Report now at realinvestmentadvice.com. It's a rich man's world.